Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It's been almost three years since Michigan voters said it was time to stop allowing partisan lawmakers to draw our political maps. The way I described the situation that we used to have was that we were allowing elected officials to select their voters and their constituents, as opposed to designing a process that allowed citizens to elect their representatives. In 2018, we passed Proposal 2, which created the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission. And members of this commission are ordinary citizens chosen at random from a pool of qualified people who applied. Of the 13 commissioners, four identify as Democrats, four identify as Republicans, and five say they don't affiliate with either major political party. Now that commission is well into the process of redrawing our congressional and state legislative district lines, and we're learning a lot about what this new process is like, and we're getting a glimpse at what our new maps might look like. And let's be honest, some of the maps that have come out so far, these preliminary drawings, these first efforts at new maps, are pretty hair-raising in some cases. They're raising a lot of questions about who should represent whom, what is a community of interest, and what does fairness look like when you're trying to divine political divisions? It's a fascinating process, I think, and I still believe that at the end of it, we'll end up with something fairer and, as a result, much better than the maps that we've seen, at least in the last two cycles, where partisan politics had everything to do with the lines, and it was about making sure one party had advantage over Another. Here to give us an update on how the process is going this year and what we're learning is Ben Solis. He is a reporter with Gongwer, Michigan, and he has been covering this process really, really closely. Ben, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So we are starting, as I said, to see maps emerging from this process, and I see people's heads starting to explode on social media as they react to them. First, tell us how far along the commission is in, in terms of drawing these maps and tell us whether the panic that seems to be setting in in some quarters is maybe premature, uh, given that these are just uh, preliminary drawings. These are the first efforts. You know, while they're making progress, yeah, it is too early to kind of um, get worried about this. Um, but, you know, as of right now, the Senate map is done. State Senate map is completed. Uh, it has some a little bit more work to do, but at least the lines are down and drawn. Uh, the U.S. House map is in progress, but they're almost done with that. But I'll put a big asterisk next to the House map because there's some problems there as well. And, um, you know, they're, they're moving along. They have not uh, completed a state house map. They're, they're about halfway done with that. Um, but they've switched their plans around and their schedule around a couple of times to make uh, this work under the time crunch that they're in. Uh, to finish these maps. So they're going to finish the U.S. House map first and then move on to the rest of the state house map and hopefully get those proposed and out for public comment. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk a little about what's guiding 
the commission's work because I think that's one of the things that we haven't done as great a job, I think, explaining to people. Uh, there's been a lot of information out there about the makeup of the commission and the idea that they are to to draw these maps without partisan consideration. But there hasn't been as much attention on, well, what should they be considering and what priority ought they be giving to the different factors to deciding how lines uh, ought to be drawn. So spend just a little time talking about what it is they're using to guide their work. Certainly. And, you know, while there is some confusion out there, the Constitution is extremely clear about what they're, they're going to, yeah, what they're going to look at. And, um, you know, federal law uh, takes precedence. So they have to draw lines that are, you know, equal in population and comply with the Voting Rights Act. Um, after that, they have to consider communities of interest, which is what, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier. Uh, that was loosely defined. So the commission had to define that as they went along and, uh, you know, received public input about, you know, what communities exist uh, throughout Michigan. And uh, from there, they're going to look at partisan fairness and then also, you know, compliance with the Voting Rights Act, again, um, just to kind of do a check to make sure that that's all up. up. And, um, you know, I think that the fact that these are citizens kind of gives you a, a better sense of, you know, these are, are going to endeavor to be fair maps. You know, the process, as you mentioned before, was left up to the majority party of uh, both um, legislative chambers, and now it's not. And, um, you know, I think that has some partisans' head, heads rolling. Um, you know, we've seen some partisan interests try to ramp up their pressure very recently uh, to try to influence this process. Um, but, you know, they are guided by pretty strict constitutional criteria. And uh, if you look at the, that, you know, amendment that was passed, it, it explains it in detail. Hmm. So, it also seems to me that part of part of the shock here, perhaps, is that the process you just just described is is so different from what we were doing before. Of course, uh, we've always had to comply with with federal law, and we've always uh, had to comply with the state constitution uh, when when lawmakers were drawing these maps. But they were able, and they were allowed to use their partisan sensibilities to make sure that whatever party was in charge was going to get the lion's share of the spoils. These maps, these preliminary maps, look really different from what we have now, and it's because the process is different. And, and so uh, some of, the, some of the, the, the reaction, I guess, I think is just to the idea of difference and how profound that difference is starting to look. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're always scared of what, what's new. Right. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that there is a sense of, you know, trying to understand this process as it goes along. Uh, these meetings are very long and they're uh, time consuming. They can get complicated to watch. Uh, so I understand if someone is sitting at home and is really interested and is invested and they, they can't understand what's going on, I really don't blame them. Um, and the commission had to learn all of that uh, as they went along as well. I mean, these are not people who are, you know, adept um, at, uh, at politics. Uh, they're not adept at map making. They had to um, essentially, you know, uh, skin the plane as they were flying it. And so, um, yeah, I, I understand why there's some trepidation there. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think that the public can take solace in that, you know, these are not 
partisans uh, or, or political operatives now building these maps. These are people who have uh, a vested interest in listening to the input that is given to them and uh, doing the best that they can. We've seen some hiccups, of course, because we've had delayed census data uh, that put the commission out. And I think that there have been some hiccups in trying to disseminate the maps uh, that they have done or that they're working on to the public to see. Uh, unfortunately, you know, that took a while for the commission to get a system where they could publish their day's map making um, right after the meeting. That kind of um, that kind of irked the public quite a bit because they felt, you know, like, okay, this is supposed to be an open and transparent process. And unless if we watch these hours long meeting, uh, we're not going to be able to look at the maps. So, you know, people like myself and other reporters who've been really following this have, have screenshotted these, these maps as they're being drawn and placed them on social media so the public can see. And I think they've appreciated that, but um, they, they really want that from the commission, not quite us uh, who are reporting on it. And now they have a process of, of putting those maps out. So I think some of that is getting eased as they go along. Hmm. Uh, I also want to talk just a little about the census and the role that census data plays in this process and then about the role that this very different census process, which was, I think, uh, really altered by the pandemic, has made the work of this commission just a little harder and also, I think, led to some of the concerns about, uh, of course, timelines, but but also transparency. I think uh, some of the concerns that people have had about them being able to do this work in, in public and to show as much of their work as possible is about late data that um, that they just didn't they just didn't have. Certainly. I mean, this is a completely novel process. Right. And it pretty much uh, went into play during the pandemic. Their first meeting was held, uh, you know, in the, in the last few months of of 2020. And um, of course, you know, we know that the pandemic and other you know, structural issues uh, caused, you know, census data collection um, to be uh, compromised, and obviously they were late in, in issuing that data. You can't do any of this without census data. And um, so, you know, the commission found itself in a situation where, you know, they are not only learning how to do this process, but they have a massive holdup in, in the census data. So they've been able to, you know, now have the census data and, and to move forward with that. But for a while there, that, that just wasn't there. And um, if you look at the Constitution, there's two very specific dates uh, that they outline. September 17th uh, is the deadline to um, propose all of the maps. And then November 1 is the deadline to adopt those maps. And they have already blown the September 17th deadline. And they are most assuredly probably going to blow that November deadline as well. Um, so, you know, now they're trying to wrap up as much as they can uh, while also doing a good job. So there's all these, you know, these pressures. But, you know, the census data thing was was no fault of their own. I'm not sure that the public completely understands that. Um, and they're they're worried about like, well, why, are, why is this so late? Um, we have seen at least one legal challenge to that. Um, you know, if, if you remember, the commission uh, asked the Supreme Court for some legal cover um, in meeting these deadlines, saying, you know, we're fully aware that we're going to miss our deadlines. We're fully aware that we're working hard. Can you at least give us some guidance into what we should do or should we expect that, you know, we're going to get continued to be sued? Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court uh, had no interest in giving them uh, a definitive answer simply because, you know, at that point in time, they had not blown the deadline. That situation legally did not exist. And they said that, you know, we'll address that when when we cross that bridge. 
Um, and then, so, you know, a lawsuit did uh, come through. It was a challenge to exactly that. Um, and the Supreme Court dismissed it because at the time, again, uh, that deadline had not been reached. It was close, but it had not been reached. Mm -hmm. And now the Supreme Court has issued, you know, um, uh, a preliminary um, rule, an administrative rule to try to manage what these uh, challenges would look like and the form that they'll take. So, you know, the, they're they're fully aware that they're in this delay and this holding pattern. Um, and I think that's a pressure that is placed on them. So, you know, I don't think that helps public perception either, because now you have, um, you know, the public who already can't see these maps in real time, like they thought that they were going to. And then also they're not going to be proposed on the timeline that they voted on. Um, so I understand why some might be frustrated, um, but they're working hard and they're trying to get it done. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Ben Solis, a reporter of uh, Gong at Gongwer, Michigan, who's been closely covering the redistricting process. We want to hear from you as well about how you're taking all of this in. What do you hope to see from the new political maps drawn by this new Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission? Do you hope district lines look more like boxes instead of winding, contorted shapes? Are you hoping the process will allow one political party or another to pick up seats in the state legislature or Congress? because partisan consideration has been taken away. Also, give us a call if you've seen some of these new maps on social media. Let us know what your reaction was. Are you happy with what you're seeing? Are you a little concerned? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, the comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. My guest is Ben Solis. He's a reporter with Gongor, Michigan. He has been closely covering the redistricting process, which looks really different this time in Michigan because of the way we voted in 2018 to take that process away from partisan lawmakers and give it to ordinary citizens. So we're talking about the work that they've done so far and the preliminary looks that people are getting uh, at the maps for State House and Senate and for Congress. Uh, we'd love to hear from you about this process and whether you hope to see something different out of this process. What do you expect from a citizen commission's efforts to draw political lines in Michigan? rather than partisan uh, elected officials. Also, give us a call if you've seen any of these new maps and let us know what your reaction was. Uh, are you surprised by how different they look? Uh, are you pleasantly surprised or are you maybe a little unpleasantly surprised uh, by, what, by what you're seeing? <clears throat> As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag us, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation uh, that way. Um, so, Ben, before we get to listeners, I want to talk a little about what these 
draft maps, and again, draft is a key word, even though they're getting closer to finalizing them. Uh, what do they mean for sitting members of the legislature and Congress? We already know that we're losing a congressional seat. We'll go from 14 members to 13 members. So at least one member of Congress would not be returning, and two incumbents might end up having to run against each other. But if the congressional map that was released was to go into effect, looks like there would be a lot of things that would be shaken up, including multiple current members of Congress being drawn in the same district. So give us a sense of what we ought to take away from uh, that proposed map. Yeah, the U.S. House map uh, is interesting because it's it's pretty pretty radical in the fact that both Democrats and Republicans agree on one thing and that it's an awful map and it probably <laughs> won't survive. Um, you know, GOP operatives uh, claim that the lines make no sense, that it's jammed three of their incumbents together and isn't favorable for someone like, you know, say John James. Should they try and run him for a U.S. House seat because he'd have to move? Uh, on the other side of that coin with the Democrats, you know, the lines are um, uh, a bit of a fiasco because it would turn the 7-7 uh, GOP uh, Democrat split of the delegation to something more akin to an 8-5 split or even a 9-4 split with the Republicans having the majority in that delegation. Um, and it's also likely to be out of compliance with the VR, uh, VRA, that's Voting Rights Act, uh, because it has just one majority minority seat, and that's down from two that exist now. Um, there could also be a lot of challenges to its political fairness based on what I just said, too. So, yeah, the, the U.S. House map is, is dead on arrival. and They'll likely do a lot of changes to it. Mm. And uh, then let's sort of go on from there to the state house and, and Senate districts. As you said, the Senate map is pretty much done. It also looks very different from, uh, from, from past efforts. But give us a sense of the reactions that people – are having to it on both sides of the aisle? Certainly. Um, I think one major observation is that people are seeing this map and saying, oh, I mean, these are not square blocks uh, on the map. These are, you know, there's some weird, odd, oddly shaped districts. Um, oddly enough, though, people are less concerned about the shape of the districts and more concerned about what they'll mean and how they're represented. And, um, you know, one of one of the big winners of, of this map are our current House members, which is, you know, funny to say because this is a Senate map. So unlike past reapportionments that have protected incumbents, the commission is now, you know, um, under the Constitution not to take incumbency into account at all when drawing these maps. So the resulting map is is starkly different. Um, You know, the plan will undergo revisions, as I said before, um, but it shows that there could be 15 open seats. There are six districts where multiple incumbents live, meaning that someone either has to move um, or there will be primaries to weed out those incumbents. And... um, you know, really interesting, too, is, uh, you know, House members who thought that they would have to wait until 2026 to run for a Senate seat could see a good opportunity to do so next year. So it'll be a chaotic rush to do that as well. Hmm. So if if we were to assume that these maps or some close semblance of these maps were to take hold and survive challenge and all of those things. How different would the makeup of our elected officials in these different bodies be? How hard would it be for people who are incumbents to keep their to keep their seats? 
it depends on where they're at and, and the circumstances on the ground, which can be dynamic. Um, you know, I do know that they have yet to do a partisan fairness uh, analysis on that Senate map. Um, and it looks like that they are planning to, to take up some of that today, which is pretty fascinating because I know that there's a lot of people who have been really interested about, okay, this is great. These lines are down. What's it look like for the parties? And um, I think until we can get a good sense of that, it'd be hard to speculate. It, you can speculate, of course, based on you know how the districts look now and, and which way they lean uh, based in past elections. I know one um, like watershed election that they're they're using as a basis is obviously the 2020 election, but also past uh, gubernatorial elections as well. Um, and I, it's it's hard to say really, but you know we'll be. We'll be getting that information very soon, and we'll see exactly how these maps shake out politically. And, you know, based on their uh, current form, what needs to be changed in order to make these maps more fair? Mm -hmm. And I know that, um, you know, fairness is in mind for the for the public and fairness is in mind, at least to some degree for the commission. But we have to you know go back to the Constitution. Fairness, political fairness, partisan fairness is pretty low on the priority list. Mm -hmm. So now we're just getting to that and we'll see. I also want to talk some about the congressional map and its deference to the Voting Rights Act. This has been an issue that people in Michigan have argued about for quite some time, which is how much is uh, is it a requirement that Michigan have two districts where there is, I think the language is something like a strong likelihood that uh, a non-white uh, candidate could 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 win. Uh, we have two now, uh, but the the process of designing those two left us with the 14th uh, congressional district, which I think by any measure is uh, uh, unusual and uh, not compact uh, and not contiguous in terms of uh, community, you know, communities of interest. Uh, but if you look at the map that they've drawn now, it 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 eliminates that kind of contortion. But it does leave you with just one district uh, that that seems seems like it would be likely to elect a, a minority, an ethnic minority, uh, as a candidate. It seems to me that one of the problems is that you what you bump up against in these maps is the fact that we live quite separately in this state uh, in terms of black and white, in terms of Republican and Democrat, and so the idea of balancing all of these things. So, to some extent, is uh, is just heavily influenced by the the geography itself, uh, and I think that's kind of what we're starting to see the commission bump up against. Certainly, and I think that's kind of um, you know eye opening for them as well. Uh, I think that you know upon further look, you, know, you see the state, and it's it's really segregated. Um, and I think that was some of the difficulty that they had in trying to build the Detroit districts on the Senate map and also, you know, on the, on the House side too, the U.S. House side. Um, you know, with the Senate map, they did not start in Detroit. They started from, you know, the top of the UP and went down. And then when they had to build these Detroit districts, they were running into, okay, do we do, what's the minority population look like? And obviously one of the strongest minorities in Detroit is, um, is the Black population. And uh, they were, they were packing, you know, Detroiters into one district. And eventually they looked at the map and said, you know, we can't do this. We're, this is really packed. We have to find a way to spread out this vote um, in a way that, you know, doesn't, doesn't segregate black voters into just one district uh, still, you know, allows them to elect their, their candidate of choice um, with enough vote power, 
and try to make all this work. It's been very difficult for them. And I think that it's been eye-opening and say, wow, this is, this is, this is pretty hard to do and it's pretty hard to do correctly. Um, and I think that they'll, they'll figure out a way to, to make it work. Uh, they'll have an analysis of their Voting Rights Act compliance here soon too. Um, so they'll try to try to fix that as well. Okay, uh, Ben Solis of Gongwar, Michigan. It was really great to have you here uh, on Detroit Today, and it has also been really great to follow your coverage of this issue, which, again, I think has been extremely diligent and uh, detailed. So we look forward to more of that as the commission gets closer uh, to final maps. Thanks so much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Another reminder that uh, I am today, later today, headed up to Mackinac Island for the Detroit Regional Chamber's annual policy conference. We will be broadcasting there tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, tomorrow, up uh, queued up on the show is uh, Executive uh, Wayne County Executive Warren Evans, as well as Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan. We will also talk with Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist and Governor Gretchen Whitmer on the island, as well as lots of other policymakers and business leaders. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.